0: Hello again, and welcome to another edition of the New Dominion podcast. My name is Sean Kenny with the Republican Standard. Sitting opposite of me is Marty Davis with F2S. Marty, how was your week? My week has been uh, hectic, man. Hetic. It's uh, hectic. It's, it's rough when you have four jobs, right? Right. Um, and two arms. It's crazy. Four you jobs. juggle it all? I, I don't. <laughs> Something gives up. Um, ask
1: my wife. You, um, uh, she'll tell you stories of profanity coming from my uh, study a um, couple times a day.
0: <laughs> yeah, pure Irish. I love it. That's great. That's... How, how was your week, Sean? Actually, pretty darn good. Can't complain too much. I've got, uh, you know, most of the family seems to be gone, either on trips or uh camp or some nonsense like that so today it's like of all the seven there was only one the youngest at the house and it was super quiet like eerily quiet like somebody's getting into trouble kind of quiet that kind of quiet but of course nobody was getting in trouble but still it's just like there's there's nobody in my home it's totally quiet and
1: well, That's you know, our our last baby bird just flew the coop, uh, so we are learning to adjust to that level of silence in our home. and It's <laughs> it's a little weird, and uh, the dogs are a little freaked out by it. But, um,
0: right. Mine are like, you know, it's like DCA. It's like the flights are leaving every two years. and So there's like, <laughs> like seven, then six, then five, then four, then three, then, you know, eventually somebody will move back in, and that will disrupt the whole thing. But it'll be great. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So any big stories coming up in um uh Republican standard?
0: No, not at the moment. I mean, obviously we're 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 working on one that we're we're doing together, so that's gonna be a big deal by the time this podcast hit it'll most likely already be out. So there's that. We're just kind of watching some of the state races. Um I think on the Republican side there's twelve House of Delegates races, there's six state Senate races that they're focusing on. Um obviously the governor's already kind of come out with his big to-do about you know five point seven million in the bank um the house is you know kind of chugging along but that seems to be where their targets are and but it's way it, it's so early for any of that i mean campaign season really doesn't get off the ground until like very late august in virginia so
1: except for people like you and me who it, spend all of our time exactly. thinking about it but i will tell you the governor's 5.7 million number sent a few shivers down the democratic side of the uh uh, aisle uh, the yeah. spines over there that they, they, they really kind of shook them a little bit and we'll see how it plays out although uh, you know just to give you a little bit of a preview uh we're going to we're going to dive into campaigns he's in here next week mm-hmm. uh when one of the leading uh contenders for uh, senate district 27 will be sitting in our room with us uh joel grippen and tara durant shouldn't be too far behind him
0: exactly which will be a lot of fun because that's one of the marquee races um in the commonwealth i mean a lot of eyeballs are in that one and Advantage is probably to the Republicans, but right now I'd agree. Joel's Joel's one heck of a candidate. Tara's one heck of a candidate. I don't think you'll get a better exposition of the stakes and the issues than what you're going to get in that race. So okay. I'm excited for it anyway. Um, I'm ready to go. Yeah, but instead of politics, we get to talk history, right? Absolutely, which is a, probably a, <laughs> at the moment more favorite topic. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and so uh, and Sean, why don't you introduce our guest tonight? Sure. So uh, I guess I'll start with Ann. Ann Darren uh, is with the Washington Heritage Museums. She's the executive director, and do I have that right? You do. Wonderful. Okay. <laughs> so, and is with the, the Washington Heritage Museums. we also, I, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm drawing a blank. I'm great with faces. I'm terrible with names. This is why we're on a podcast because yeah. I don't have to see anybody. But, like. <laughs> yeah. Name's
2: Chuck Fennell. Chuck Fennell. Yeah. Yes. And, the
0: chairman. Right. Of the, the board. Chairman of the board yeah. of the Washington Heritage Museum. So, we are, are, are graced with both. So, but thank you very much for uh, both of you for, for being here this evening with us.
2: Welcome. Glad to be
0: here. Great, um, now Chuck. We talked a little bit earlier about your involvement. How did you first get involved with the Washington Heritage Museums? What's your for, because you're, you're not a Fredericksburg native? You got here as fast as you could, right? So, so what got you involved?
2: Well, there was uh, activities going on all the time, and it happened to be preparation for our huge fundraiser event every uh, on an annual basis. And some of the other board members and committee members actually lived on our block and. One of them approached me, asked me to help out uh, working on that event. And then eventually that led into being asked to be on the board. And now I'm in year five. And beginning in January, I took over the chair position uh, of a
0: great group of folks. Great. And, and, And how long have you been with the Washington Heritage Museums?
3: Well, I always answer this with which time? (laughs) <laughs> I actually, <laughs> I actually, in 1983, was an intern at the Mary Washington House. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, and then I came back to the organization in the early 2000s for a couple years. But like you, we had a bunch of children, um, three boys who needed some, uh, people at home. So took a few years off, came back in 2013. And in 2014, I became the executive director and first full-time employee.
1: Wonderful. So, and, uh, you know, I hate to, uh, I hate to admit this because no one likes to admit their mistakes, but, uh, You and I got connected, Ann, because um I ran a story um by my co-host here, Sean Kenny, about what we should do with the Renwick Museum. And Sean had referenced um had referenced your organization and uh had made a little bit of an error and me being the editor didn't catch it. And fortunately you read it, you caught it and you uh Went on to write a wonderful piece for uh, F2S about it. I'm wondering if you could just sort of explain to people what the Washington Heritage Museums are, what it really encompasses. I was surprised to learn just how much it actually entails.
3: Absolutely. So we like to say that we are a new organization, although we're 10 years on now, but a new organization with really old roots. Um, In 1890, the Mary Washington House was there was discussion about dismantling it and moving it to Chicago for the Columbian Exposition. Um, Obviously, I don't think it would have come back to Fredericksburg. I think it would have stayed there. Um, And, of course, there was a terrible fire during the exposition. So the possibility exists that it just would have been lost forever. But a group of Fredericksburg women worked together to raise money and went to the newly formed Association for the Preservation of Virginia Antiquities and worked with them to raise the funds to buy the Mary Washington House. And then in turn, in 1908, they um, took on the Rising Sun Tavern and then in nineteen seventy four they were given St James House by deed of gift by bill tollerton and william breslin and um, so they and i'm sorry bill tollerton daniel breslin um, and then in nineteen seventy nine the apothecary shop, the humorshire apothecary shop came under the auspices of what was then um, still a PVA, but would soon become Preservation Virginia. Back in 2012, Preservation Virginia made a, what I'm sure was a difficult decision to no longer manage a bunch of historic house museums across the state of Virginia. They kept a few, But their mission honed in on um, preservation advocacy. And so they offered our four sites at that time to the local branch, the Mary Washington branch of Preservation Virginia, if they could form a 501c3 to receive the properties. And they did. Um, So That, um, as I say, end of 2012, beginning of 2013, um, Washington Heritage Museums was really on a roll. And then, um, so to comment on the um, article that was written, so St. James um, isn't new to us. We've had it since 1979. But what is new to us is that the um, city of Fredericksburg, gave to Washington Heritage Museums by deed of gift the Mary Washington Monument site, including the Caretaker's Lodge, Meditation Rock, the Escra Joke, and the Gordon Cemetery. So we are beyond excited about that gift.
1: Well, so that's a lot to to manage, and that's quite a story of how you got to everything that you have. Uh, That's a really significant piece of not just local history, but American history writ large. Um, uh, Ann and Chuck, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the the challenges of managing uh, a historic site this spread out, this disparate, um, especially in a place like this where Monticello gets so much attention and Mount Vernon gets so much attention. And at least in visitors' imaginations, maybe Mary Washington House doesn't come front of mind quite so much.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's a true statement, but the other piece of that is how do we manage them? Um, it's not your normal home. It's it's not you can go to Home Depot and pick up things to, to work on the house. Uh, so we have to be very careful to, when we do work on them to manage them um, that we do it correctly. We get the right people in to look at them and masonry work, you know, interior work on the walls, the roofs, all that stuff. Uh, but – to the day to day management, you know I would tell you that Anne oversees the staffs that we have and uh, does a great job working with these people to keep the stories up to date uh, we're reinterpreting a lot of the stories, digging in a little bit deeper to get more information that we can share with the people who come and visit us um, you know and getting the word out um, to the point where we talk about Mary and her home and now the monument, I don't believe people really currently understand her significance in the history of the United States. You know, When she walked from her home to Meditation Rock past her daughter's place at Kenmore almost on a daily basis and sat at Meditation Rock and prayed for George and the troops and for their efforts, that what they were trying to do to create this nation. Um. When she passed away, and Anne can probably do do this story a little bit better than I, but Congress actually passed a thirty day period of mourning for her. Hmm. She wasn't a member of Congress. <laughs> Go ahead, Anne.
3: Yeah, I'll try to get Congress to work together like that these days. Right. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, so you know, somebody wasn't a member of Congress or held a position, but they you know gave her that respect. Um. You know, so we're trying to bring that story back to life. We really are. Um, Part of our efforts to work on the property, the monument, and the lodge, while we have a great core group of people here in this Fredericksburg area that support our organization, this is really a nationwide story that we have to tell. And we're going to, we're working on things that can bring in those people that, you know, outside the region. It's still going to be a Fredericksburg icon is still going to be here in the city but we need to start bringing more attention to it. Um one of the things that we're doing we well we know where the monument is. We're not 100% sure Mary's buried underneath of it. Really? Yeah, uh there's Oh,
0: wow. So so what what makes us doubt that that she might not be there? There's local stories that Lore? tell us yes, oh. uh, that tell
2: us where we believe she's buried. Uh we're doing efforts right now to work with some folks to get the ground, penetra- ground penetrating radar to come oh in my. and work on the site. Is she near
0: the monument? or Fairly
2: close. I mean, okay. she, we, we believe that she's up on the hill. Okay. Uh, it's just not underneath the she's monument. Just not
0: underneath that monument.
2: Right. Wow. So that's part of the story we're going to be bringing out and, you know, Get people to come in and talk about it.
0: It's like who's buried in Grant's tomb kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Who's buried in Mary Washington's tomb? Nobody. Right. I mean, that's amazing.
2: Yeah. And, you know, uh, over the years, we've had three presidents visit. Mm -hmm. Andrew Jackson, Grover Cleveland, and Dwight Eisenhower. And he was, Dwight Eisenhower was here in 1954. So we're coming up on a very significant event next year. Sure, He was here on Mother's Day. We're looking to mm, put a fairly that'd be neat. neat event together, try to get some folks in and really recognize the site, try to get some of the, the multitude of work and efforts that we need to get the place back. Sure. Um, if, if you've been by the monument and by the lodge over the last couple of years, people didn't know it was back there. They didn't know the lodge was there. You can now walk down Washington Avenue and see the lodge. We've had a great group of people, volunteers, that have come in and transformed the front of the uh, facility. Uh, You can see it. People walk by today and still tell us we didn't know that was there, which is
0: mind-blowing to me. It mind-blowing to me as well. I mean, I, th- I thought everybody knew it was there. Well,
2: they knew the monument was there. But they didn't, they didn't know about the lodge. They
0: didn't know about the lodge.
2: But the lodge is right there.
0: <laughs> but you couldn't see but it. But you couldn't see it. There you go. Right.
3: I would actually say there were people who don't know the monument was there. Um, I do know that, you know, on occasion, um, when we just received the property, I would talk to folks downtown, and they, some of them had no idea it was there. So. I do think that is part and parcel as to why the city gave it to our organization was to elevate its standing as a monument.
1: So, Ann, take us a little bit deeper into Mary Washington's life, right? I mean, we had a wonderful discussion here a few weeks ago with, uh, Gayla Sims. And we were talking then about how recently African American history, black history has begun to be told and, you know, all the richness that is starting to come out. Well, a similar thing really has happened with women's history uh, over the last 20 to 30 years. I'm a historian by training. And even when I was in grad school in the, you know, in the eighties and early nineties, uh, women's history was just starting to get its legs. But it really wasn't up and running. And, of course, a lot has moved forward since that time. Um, How has Mary's uh, position in the historical imagination changed as our knowledge of women in history has grown?
3: Well, if I could, let me um, answer an earlier question, um, and then I'll come back to this. You were talking about the sites being disparate, but they're actually not. Um, Hugh Mercer did treat Mary Washington In her elder years, I wouldn't go so far as to say he was her regular doctor, but she was treated by him.
1: I had no idea.
3: Yeah, the um, Rising Sun Tavern actually started out as the private home of Charles Washington, Mary Washington's youngest son. And St. James House was the home of James Mercer, who was the attorney who witnessed her will. Um, So they are all related to each other and taken together. They are a wonderful snapshot of life in the 18th century in Fredericksburg. You've got medicine, you've got commerce and travel, you've got home life. Um, So it's really kind of a broad spectrum of 18th century life. So, um, but as to your second question, Mary Washington has a very relatable story in some capacity to a lot of people. She lost her father when she was three. By the time she was 13, she was an orphan, um, raised by her half sister and under the guardianship of George Eskridge, for whom the Eskridge Oak at the monument is named. Um, and then she married Augustine Washington, a year later, had George, um, and then Ultimately, five more children, one of whom passed away at a very young age. Um, But Augustine Washington passed away when Mary was just 35. She was left with five children um, to raise and to manage Ferry Farm um, with the help of enslaved workers. But um, she was the sole manager of the property. She never remarried, whether that was by her own choice or circumstance. I don't think we could say for certain, but what we can say is that that protected her children's inheritances, and that's very important. Um, Had she remarried, her um, possible husband could have taken over the ownership and management of all her properties, and the children may not have ultimately been well taken care of.
1: And so George Washington may not have been who we thought he was.
3: Exactly. Um and fortunately Mary did live long enough to see George become the commander of the troops and ultimately become the president. She was not present at his inauguration, but she was aware of it before ultimately passing away from breast cancer. So whether you're talking um Children who are orphaned at a young age, whether you're talking about single parenthood, um, whether you're talking about um, breast cancer, or even elder care. Because George saw to it that Mary moved from Fairy Farm to the Mary Washington house to be closer to Betty Lewis. So there's something relatable in there for m- many people.
0: Sir, so one of the things that, you know, yeah, obviously Colonial Williamsburg's had its challenges over the last 10 years in terms of not just the kind of maintaining its presence, but also doing the same transition from, say, the 50s when it was just you were talking about getting the right materials and all that. Colonial Williamsburg at one point in time didn't care just as long as it looked that way. And so it moved away from that towards from away from the more touristy thing to. A little bit more on the historic preservation side, and then of course, like over the last twenty years, you know, history just is as important to some people. They've run into their financial challenges. Um, they're slowly trying to readapt while navigating the same waters. Talk to me a little bit about, like, because Fredericksburg came really close to to, to being Williamsburg, um, a lot closer than people realize. Um, but we've got our own, like, really kind of like it's similar but not quite. Talk to me a little bit about those challenges, Chuck and like, like, how? I mean, how, how, how are you guys tackling them in the present day when you know there, there's fewer resources? There's this impetus to sort of like redescribe history in a fuller light, while at the same time, sort of, you know, kind of maintaining the character of of that time.
2: Yeah. Part of our board and committee chairs, uh, we have an education committee. So they've been tasked to go back for each one of our properties and put together a fuller picture of that history. So it's a very tedious job uh, to get it right uh, because we want to make sure that everyone is included. Uh, As you mentioned, there was only part of the story out there. It was not the full breadth of what was going on. So we're we're making those steps. It's just – it's going to take some time to get the whole story put together. Um, but I think we've done a, a pretty good t- a job of that already at some of the sites. We've changed the narrative. We've changed those stories uh, that our uh, docents are giving and uh, being very well received uh, of the updates that we've given. So, th- I mean, to, to us, that that's good news. Uh, nobody's really challenging saying, hey, you shouldn't be talking about that or you shouldn't do this or look at it in this light, not that light. So you're not
0: seeing any of the same sort of struggles like like Monticello or Montpelier or Ashland, which I I guess it's not Ashland anymore, is it? It's Highland. It's Highland now. Okay. Well, the locals still call it Ashland, but I I don't (laughs) know. But like, but but so you're not seeing any of the same challenges.
2: Not to date.
0: No. And and you think that's because of the profile, like like, or is it that? Like, like, just people have just kind of, kind of, like you said, just kind of, kind of embraced it. It's like, you know what? Yeah, we need to, do need to be telling these stories.
2: I think that's part of it. Yeah. Uh, again, we're not as high a profile as some of the other sites you're talking about, but I think our stories are just as rich, mm-hmm. uh, and that's our job to start getting the the stories out there, getting the people outside the area to come in and you know visit our sites. Um, from the financial side. Yeah, I mean, it's been a struggle. Uh, We're not going to sugarcoat that one at all. Um, When we lost basically two years uh, to tourism. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it
2: it has been a struggle. Uh, The good news is we're seeing the numbers of visitations come back up to pre-pandemic levels. That's good. Uh, We're starting to get school tours back in. Which is great.
0: Even better. Yeah. yeah.
2: And uh, we talked about education committee. Uh, part of their charge also is to work with the schools on the SOL assignment so that we can, when the students come in, we can work with our narrative to get the information they need to make sure that they're performing well on SOLs. Um, the, the great news is we've already had a school tour up at the lodge in the monument. Oh, great. You know. First one out of the shoot. Uh, it was it actually came up, was it Newport News Ann? Is that correct? Yes.
3: Yes. And then next month, um, the last night of our Twilight History program will take place up at the monument.
2: Cool. Working with uh Spotsylvania school teachers, uh with some workshops. So they're gonna be coming down and visiting all the sites, uh to to come in. So I mean that that's great news. So we're starting to get a, a you know more activity, uh, people are starting to come back in, so so that's good news. Um, so you know, but still financially, we have our challenges, just sure, like everybody else. Sure,
0: sure. So I I already fielded this question, to Chuck, but I I'm going I'm to hand it off to you. So so how much of Colonial Fredericksburg, like I mean, because you see it, and and Chuck might see it in a certain way, and the historians from that time period might see it a certain way. How much of Mary Washington's Fredericksburg is still there? If you really start going and looking at it.
3: Oh, I never thought of that like as a percentage, but if you look hard enough, yes, there, there's still homes. There certainly the Charles Dick house on, um, princess Anne street actually predates most of our buildings. Um, but there are other ones downtown that are, you know, equally as significant, but they're in private ownership. Um, I mean, you, I know you think of the ones like Belmont, which actually dates to roughly the same period, and and Kenmore and um, those. But there is also a, a number of homes in private ownership that date to roughly the same period.
0: Yeah, this is one of those things like, like Whedon Tavern, for instance. I mean, that's another one where it's like, okay, that's – what colonial Fredericksburg used to look like. And you think of these homes with these gardens to the side and, um, you know, there's bits and pieces of it still there, but like how much of it is really there after say like the civil war and then the 1940s when everything went into neon and then, um, you know, the, you know, development and things of that nature kind of obscuring it. It's like, it's kind of curious. It's like how much of it's really there. Or if you just put on those, those glasses, right, you can really still see the same town that Mary Washington saw.
3: Well, so we do at the Mary Washington House actually talk about that in regards to the Mary Washington House. Um, so the if you were looking at the Mary Washington House, she actually only lived in the leftmost portion, um, the huh. little one and a half story. The center portion, the two story portion was not there. Um, The part that is all the way to the right-hand side that was originally thought of as an addition, as it turns out, was likely her kitchen. Hmm. Um, So we do – Chuck talked about the changing interpretation. We were able to date that through dendrochronology, the study of tree rings.
0: (laughs) Nice. 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 That's so, so another, cause I'm, I'm a bit of a history nerd. And of course, I, I grew up in the city of Fredericksburg. So this is, this is, this is Christmas for me. Um, so the relationship with fairy farm, right? And so obviously this is another one where it's like, you know, like traveling patterns and things of that nature. Like, like how much, I mean, cause I mean, obviously that's how you get to Fredericksburg from, from points east. But like like the relationship with Ferry Farm, Falmouth, things of that nature, like how much of that really kind of impacted the the city itself um, in terms of like commerce and, you know, the things that that they would have bought or, you know, things of that nature.
3: Sure. um, Falmouth was actually a larger city than Fredericksburg at one point. Really? Um, And if I am not mistaken – I do believe that Mr. Gordon at one point was the richest man in the U.S. Um, So it was not an unimportant town. Um, Ultimately, Fredericksburg, you know, overtook it and lasted. And um, Falmouth became a a quaint, um, neat little place to visit, but not nearly the size. It didn't spread the way Fredericksburg spread.
0: Was that just terrain, or was it like, it just, or just Spotsmania County just had more to offer than Stafford getting it to the to, to ships?
3: That's a great question, to which I'll be honest and say I don't know the answer.
0: Okay. no, But that is just one of those things, like, like, like why did Fredericksburg win out over, you know, Alexander Spotswood's machinations back in the, in the 18th <laughs> century? Why did, Falmouth, like, why Fredericksburg and not Falmouth? I mean, those are just kind of neat things.
2: Yeah, I think part of that to answer part of the question was the canals that they were trying to put in and the rail
0: oh, on this side. Okay,
2: because while they had some rail over in Stafford, um, everything was really coming in from Spotsy to the river, so it was coming into the to the city side, and they tried to build the canals out, but the rail beat them out there. So if you can still see part of the canals, you know, within the city, heading out towards Spotsylvania, that area.
0: Oh, neat huh,
1: never even thought of it. That's great. So, Anne, I'm curious. Um, can you tell me a little bit about um, how much Mary was engaged with um, the names that flowed through this town in the 18th century? Uh, was she a bit more reclusive? Was she sort of, you know, the the person about town, the socialite? What, tell us more about her.
3: <laughs> well, I would say that um, at that time, everything was all about, um, status. You know, in other words, um, I've heard people talk about how it was very important for Americans to put forth, um, wealth. And sometimes they actually had it and sometimes they did not. Um, as you probably know, George did not attend college for that reason. Um, so, but she did make sure that her children um, were on the social scene as much as possible. And ultimately, it, it obviously worked out. Um, George married, uh, you know, Martha and one of the richest women. Um, so that plan obviously worked. Yeah. Uh,
1: so, pretty of- Excuse me, we were talking a little bit about um, how much of Mary's Fredericksburg still exists. Uh, as I'm sure you know, Ann and Chuck, um, there's a huge debate in the city now about historic preservation and how much we hold and how we deal with the growth that's going on here and the density issues. And we're seeing it flare up in places like uh, the ADU debate that's currently going on, which has gotten extremely hot. And... Um, you know continues to rile people. It seems that no matter where you touch uh, it's a problem um how do you you know if you could if you could sort of sit down and draw the plans um what would you recommend to the city council? what would you recommend to uh the the leaders of the city as they as they wrestle with those issues? Well, for me,
2: I've stumped both of no, them, no, no, Sean. It's no, a first. Yeah, well, it's a great question. Uh, but for me, we have to keep – Fredericksburg touts itself as the most, one of the most historic cities in the U.S. So how can you not keep the history piece of it in place? The city has to be responsible at some level for maintaining those pieces of history – that are so important to not just the Fredericksburg area, but to the nation. And I think that has to be incorporated into their overall plans. Um, and, you know, really it's, it's the people in the city that help do that, to keep those historical places active here and not be put into a situation where you, the only option you have is to tear them down because they haven't been taken care of. You know, there has to be some guidelines for these historical properties to make sure that they're preserved. If not, you lose the history, you lose the stories, you lose that intel that built the country. And by and large, a lot of it started here. You know, when you think of the United States, a lot of it started right here. And then the history through the United States. How can you not talk about the Civil War? Across the Rappahannock River, how many times?
0: Right, right. Okay.
2: Right, so, right. I mean, if you want to sell yourself as a city that's the most historic in the area, you have to have that on your plate to make sure you're taking care of it. Um, you know, there's a lot of debate going on. Renwick Building, everything else. One of the greatest architects in the U.S. Right? Mm-hmm. How can you not keep that building? How we have to make the intelligent decision with that to make sure that we don't lose it.
0: Right. And for listeners who don't know, the, the Renwick Courthouse is right there on Princess Anne Street. Uh, Renwick was, of course, the the architect who built the Smithsonian. So we have that here in Fredericksburg. And that's, I mean, when, and when you look at the courthouse and you think Smithsonian, it just clicks. It's like, oh, that's where that comes from. Um, and so it's, it's architecturally unique and certainly deserves to be a little bit more than just restaurants and pizzas. I mean, that's, yeah, it has its place, but not in something like that. That's my opinion. I- <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Again, somebody has to put some guidelines out there. We need to have a good conversation about it, sure. a good discussion, and, and what do we do with to, to keep it, the building. Sure. Yeah.
1: Sure. So, but that's become the issue, right? I mean, there is the, – the debate has become so intense here. I know just reporting on – like I, you know, I recently did a big story about the tension between College Heights and the Catholic Church. And it's like everywhere you touch there's a reporter is a live wire, right? And so the joke, uh, that I shared with, uh, a former reporter a moment, of story came out and everyone was screaming at me was, well, you know, you went four for four. You got everybody mad at you. So you must have done something right. Um, but it, you know, it, it sort of reflects also the intensity of this debate. And there are people who who say, you know, who will look at historical preservation. Studies, they just want to stick to city in formaldehyde and freeze it. Um, there are people who say, well, all the developers want to do is just build, 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 build and get rid of everything. Um, how do we kind of tone that debate down? How do we reorient it so that it's a little less I mean things these are going to be heated debates, right? But how do we how do we kind of move beyond the heat to to some depth? and or Chuck either one?
3: Um great question. And I guess some of the answer is Look at what's been lost in Fredericksburg. There's a lot that's been lost. Um, and think about all the people who travel to Europe. Well, why do they travel to Europe? They travel to Europe to see these iconic places. And if we don't preserve them, um, you know, I think of, I grew up in the, you know, I was born in the 60s and early 60s. and. Um,
1: Let's hear it. Let's hear it for the hippies in the room. What's that? Let's hear it for the
3: hippies in the room. But I think about I grew up outside D.C. and I think about all the urban renewal um, and I think about how much was lost. And I certainly don't want to see um, any more of Fredericksburg lost than than we have.
0: It's a great point, too. This is one of those things like – with Fredericksburg, you get – it's if you want to see colonial Fredericksburg, you can find colonial Fredericksburg. And if you want to shift your lens and find Civil War Fredericksburg, you can still find Civil War Fredericksburg. Um, uh, you know, the, the battlefields help, right? But if you want to shift that lens again and say, okay, maybe like and, – and this is something that's kind of up and coming. The, like the strip on Princess Anne, if you want to find 1940s Fredericksburg, you can find 1940s Fredericksburg right, right along that strip, which is – you know kind of a cool thing um but balancing all of those things like i mean i it, i explain it to people in my neck of the woods and they don't quite get it but being a fredericksburg native it's like you don't bulldoze history right that's the first rule once it's gone it's gone there's no getting it back um so being able to maintain it is so absolutely critical and it's like you mentioned chuck it's part of what makes fredericksburg fredericksburg I mean, all this history happened here i mean whether it's the Statute for religious freedom, whether it's the Battle of Fredericksburg itself, not just once but twice, but three times in a row, whether it's um, you know Fredericksburg in the 1940s and um, sort of the the suburbanization of Virginia and things of that nature. Um, yeah, we've got we've got it's a crown jewel, but once it's gone, it's a history book. Right, that,
2: that's right. I mean, now you're looking at pictures. Exactly. Right now, you can still go up and touch it. Mm-hmm. You, can, you, know, you can walk into a lot of these buildings and fuel the history in there. You can hear the stories because there's people there telling them to you. And it's, yeah, go ahead,
3: Anne. It's why we work so tirelessly to um, promote our buildings, to receive memberships from the community. Um, to we have a big fundraising event, Bourbon and Boxwood, coming up on September 30th, for which we're still speaking, seeking sponsors. Ooh, two of my favorite things. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's why we work so hard at this. Um, because, you know, this is our nation's history. And I will tell you that sometimes when I'm in those buildings, By myself, it hits me the most when I'm there by myself. Like, goodness gracious, I work here and they let me do this. Um, You know, you got to kind of pinch yourself, but it's really something worth fighting for and working for. I mean, you know, we do have people that have been members for years on end. But we're still, you know, seeking new members who may not know that our museums are here. Um, And at the monument site, I am super excited. We received the largest matching grant opportunity in our history from the Mary Morton Parsons Foundation. Um, It is a matching grant of $100,000. That's great. Yeah, we're very excited about that. Um, We are definitely fundraising for that. Um, It's such an important site, and parts of it are are really in danger. There are erosion issues. Um, You know, some of it is cosmetic. Um, For instance, all the removal of the overgrowth, Um, it's great. Um, But... And we're so thankful for every volunteer who worked on it. But what concerns us um, is like the slope stabilization. There is a lot of work at the site to be done. Um, And again, these stories are why we work so hard at this and why we've got such a great dedicated staff and board.
2: And I'll I'll give you one quote that I like to talk. Sorry, No, no, please. This is from Teddy Roosevelt. He said, far and away, the best prize that life offers is the chance to work hard at work worth doing. Nice. This is work that is worth doing. If we don't preserve it, we'll say it again. It's gone.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, we're, and yeah. Megan and I are total agree to this. Um, uh, we were talking about this earlier, but – Megan and I, we sit on the board of, uh, uh, Fredericksburg Main Street. Uh, Megan's on the economic vitality chair. and I'm currently board president and, uh, the Runwick building is, uh, a big point of contention right now. Uh, Main Street, uh, did the study to kind of work out some ideas. What could be done with the building? Um, but I think how this gets decided, what happens to this building, I think is going to kind of, kind of set a new precedent kind of going forward. So there's a the energy around this is, uh, there's obviously a lot of opinions and how this should get done. I have a personal opinions of my own. Um, but this decision coming up around this building, how this building is going to be taken care of, which is really main streets main goal. Was, we don't really care how it's taken care of just as long as whoever's taking care of it is doing a great job. Um, but um yeah, I think uh Runwick is gonna be big for Fredericksburg and how we deal with uh old historic buildings kind of going forward.
0: I'll be mean, kind of the the capstone is like what Fredericksburg wants to be like going into the next fifty to a hundred years, right? I mean, yeah, I think that's 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 the question that gets answered in what we do with that that particular building.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And I really think there's something to be said about making these historic spaces accessible for people who have not always had access to those spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, having a human centered approach to that history is is so critical, you know, because it it opens the door to that good work that you're referencing to people who have, you know, been asked to not sit at the table for a long time, you know, and and having that fabric and how we work on historic preservation as a community and as a city is so critical. Um, so, and, yeah. and
2: that's one of the projects that we've identified for the monument area is we will be making it accessible for anybody because right now, if you walk up to the steps, that's where you get to, you cannot go up and visit. Yeah. So part of our charge has been we're going to be putting accessible pathways not only to the monument but to the lodge. And the goal there is, if you're familiar with the history of the the lodge, the Connecticut room that sits on the right-hand side, designated Connecticut room because when it was built, the ladies from Connecticut furnished it. Oh, okay. Okay. So we're uh, putting in a self-guided tour. That will give the history of the monument and the lodge itself and the history of the families that have lived in there.
0: Yeah. One of the things that that just kind of dovetail what Megan said, I mean, Marty and I have this conversation about what makes Fredericksburg different than Williamsburg. And it's it's living here. I mean, people actually live here amidst the history rather than putting it in a jar, which isn't quite colonial Williamsburg, but still. It, it, it's pretty it, close. It's pretty close. You can't you don't put it in a jar and stick it in formaldehyde and we can all look at it, but it, nobody's living in that space. And you mentioned, um, you know, in terms of like accessibility, I mean, I think that's one thing that people think of instantly is like, well, how, you know, how do people actually get it up there? But but also, like the Megan's point, like different voices, right, uh, and different perspectives that really had never had that kind of access to that building in the same way other people did. And so, it, the, the careful consideration as to what gets done with Runwick. I mean, I'm a big fan of getting William, and, like like not William and Mary, of course, if they want to, that's fine. Getting the University of Mary Washington involved, getting the city involved, like really thinking that space through and making it something that, again, helps kind of interpret. The, the 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 area and the region like for the next 50 to 100 years and actually make it something that's a like a national focus right something we could be really proud of and say like look i mean we're 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 working on this together we're doing it really well um you know it's like remembering the past so it can serve us for the future that's kind of a big deal and it's again it's one of those unique things that just makes Fredericksburg so much different than Williamsburg in that regard, right? And yes, we're growing. Yes, we're building and you can drive right by the history and not see it. But, um, for those who know, we've got something really special here and I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that, that it frankly, it's in good hands. And Chuck, you guys are doing a great job. Um, if somebody wanted to help your work, maybe this is, an, and this is probably a great question for you. If somebody wants to get involved with the Washington Heritage Museums, how do we do it? What do we do?
3: So um, I've got four great ways. One is volunteer. As Chuck mentioned, almost everything except for the professional tree work we've had done at the Monument site has been done by volunteers. That has been a Herculean task of dedicated folks. Um, So that's one way. Another way is to become a member of our organization. Um, We truly appreciate every member. It's so important to us. Our members get free access to our museums. They get early access to event tickets um, and discount in our museum stores. Um, so that's two ways. Um, another way is our Bourbon and Boxwood event. Again, that's September 30th. I mentioned that we are seeking sponsors.
0: I'm here for it. I'm there.
3: <laughs> All righty. <laughs>
0: Corey and I kind an of eyeball on each in your inbox like, tomorrow. <laughs> nice.
3: <laughs> so, as I say, we're still seeking sponsors for that. And uh, contact the office. We can absolutely get you lined up. Um, the other way is um, the matching grant. I mean, right now, a donation to the monument site, let's say somebody gives $100, it equals $200. Like, there is no better time to give.
0: Standing, that's wonderful. So, so here, here we go. We're getting close to the end of the show. So, this is our fastball question. This is the question we ask every guest that comes on the podcast, and Ann, we're going to start with you, just because we can. What are you reading right now?
3: What am I reading right now? Um, a lot of board
0: notes. <laughs> Chuck, Chuck <laughs> shame on you. <laughs> Actually, I'll ask a more specific question. If I wanted to know more about Mary Washington in a one volume book, what should I read?
3: I like to call it a fast read. The manager of the Mary Washington House, Michelle Hamilton, has written a book um, called Mary Ball Washington. It's for sale, not surprisingly, at the Mary Washington gift shop. Um, and if somebody's looking for a more in depth read, after they've read that, um, I might suggest Martha Saxton's book.
0: Okay. That works. Chuck, what books are you reading right now?
2: I uh, actually have, uh, two that I'm reading. Uh, one is on Ulysses S. Grant, which, because I love
0: civil war history. Is it Ron Chernow's book? Yes. Okay. And, it's fantastic.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the other one's, uh, more of a technical book. Um, trying to, Trying to hone my skills a okay. little bit to go back, uh, potentially do a little bit of, of work. Good stuff.
0: Good, yep. stuff. Good stuff. It seems like it's right up Corey's alley. Corey, Corey I'm, I'm, should I even bother asking? Are you still swimming in technical manuals? Or? Oh yeah, absolutely. Nice. <laughs> because that's because that's where the fun is. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll go to a more interesting question to Megan. Megan, what you reading?
5: Okay, so I uh, just pulled out uh, a book that I'm revisiting that I thought the group would enjoy. Um, So it's called The Common Wind, Afro-American Currents in the Age of the Haitian Revolution. Um, So for those who may not know, the Haitian Revolution spanned 1791 to 1804. And those who don't know me, I do a lot of work in Haiti and I am a big Haitian history buff. Um, And so this book in particular, I think, is really fascinating because it focuses during that time span of the Haitian Revolution of all of the echoes of resistance that traveled across, um, you know, what they term as the common wind in this book. So in all the various, you know, areas throughout the Caribbean, West Africa, these stories of revolution traveled through, you know, all different means of people, whether that be on ships, whether that be with, you know, buccaneers, you know, so this book really categorizes and catalogs a lot of those histories of revolution and how that Spanned the region. Um, and of course, the Haitian Revolution was the first successful black slave revolt in history. And it, you know, the echoes of that really transformed the region of Latin America and the Caribbean. So uh, it's a great book for history buffs and a really fascinating one.
0: I have just ordered it on Amazon. So nice. <laughs> this will be good. Marty, what are you reading, sir? Oh, that's
1: nice of you to ask. Seeing as well, I you believe- know,
0: sometimes, you know, it's what oh, gentlemen oh. do. I mean, since Last week, I got, you know, it's like, oh, Sean, you know, what coloring book are you reading right now? I, I, I host
1: your last <laughs> book, Sean. And I, I have to apologize. Before I answer the question about the book, I do want to ask one question of Chuck, though, that we've not asked in a few weeks. Uh-oh. Chuck, did you bring Cuban cigars?
0: Did you bring any Cuban cigars? No. Okay. So, uh, so I didn't uh, know that was a requirement. No, uh, no, no well,
1: requirement. We're just uh, hoping.
0: Yeah, yeah, because, you know, Scott Mayowski came in with Cuban cigars, and then he, you know, consumed them all before he could share. So I'm we're a little a little upset about that. So we're just asking every single individual that comes in here for some form of tribute and we're just disappointed all the time. Okay. But it's mostly Scott Mayowski's fault. Okay. So just tossing it out well, there. At least so I know
2: I'm consistent. Indeed. And disappointing you.
1: <laughs> so actually, the book I'm reading I owe um, to my good friend across the table here who brought me a little bag of books last week and one of them was A Hero of Two Worlds. It's a biography of Lafayette and it is Extraordinary. And with the anniversary of Lafayette's visit coming to Fredericksburg, uh, next year, uh, Craig Bassey um, is involved, uh, uh, who's the head of the sister city program here in the city, uh, who's very heavily involved in putting that, uh, ball together. It's going to be something else. Uh, if, if you really want to see Fredericksburg in the 18th century, uh, come take a look at what, uh, happens downtown when,
0: when they, Bring it back to life, and I understand that M- Monsieur de Lafayette will actually be paying us a visit. He will be paying us a visit. It should be a lot of fun. Which will be really cool. So, so, so Sean, what are you reading? What am I reading? So, well, what I was reading last week was uh, "There Will Be Fire." It's a book by uh, Rory Carroll. Talks about. Uh, the Irish Republican Army, uh, the Provisionals, um, and their near miss of Margaret Thatcher in the 1980s. Um, so it's actually pretty pretty well balanced. You end up reading it from one perspective, and it's like this guy sounds like he's like a hardcore like Irish Republican, and then he gets to the next chapter and it's very sympathetic to the British point of view. And so, it, not just what it's written, but like how it's written. It's a phenomenal book. Um, highly recommended. The other one, as I've been. Kind of going, rereading Chaucer. So I picked up Peter Ackroyd's, like, like his brief lives on Chaucer. And this was kind of a start. I ended up, um, there's another one. It's like, like Chaucer's tales. It talks about how he wrote the Canterbury tales towards the end. But I'm just, you know, giving a little bit more thought to like the, the battles in Spotsylvania County with the, the book banning and book burning. And like, it's like, what's your criteria? Because the same criteria they use to ban certain books, you know, gets Dante and Chaucer and Shakespeare and, you know, all the great all the great books go in the same funeral pyre if you use that standard. And for those who are familiar with the, the Canterbury Tales, I mean, it's uh, it can be pretty ribald at times. Mm-hmm. So
1: that can be a bit body.
0: Yeah, and that which is what gets read, right? So it's no different than what it is today. But um, so far, like fascinating, like little one volume on his his actual biography, and really enjoyed it so far. Yeah. So.
1: What happens when you get a bunch of history nerds together around a bunch of microphones? You talk about a lot of history. <laughs> and uh, that's always a good thing because we, Chuck, as you said, we live in um, one of the most historic cities in America. And so it's appropriate that that's the kind of thing that we do and the kind of thing that we talk about. And the reason we get to show up that's way every week. Um, that's about all the time we have. Um Chuck, and thank you so much for being here tonight. Um, we want to encourage everyone to get out to the Mary Washington house, volunteer your time. Now's a great time to make a contribution when you can have your contributions doubled for such a great cause. It's a great time to do it. So. Help them out. Um, you know, join the society. There's a lot of good things to do and, uh, and take your family out there to see it. Uh, I've got it on my list of things to do before I go back to school in a couple of weeks. Um, so, you know, go out there. We might run into you and, um, Sean. It's just been a blast as it always is.
0: Yes. And yeah, every single time, great conversation. And, you know, this time, at least we're recording it. So <laughs> at least we're recording it this time.
1: So, uh, so that's all for this week, uh, from, uh, myself, Martin Davis with F2S and, and my co-host, Sean Kenney with the Republican Standard. Two of the very finest things that you can read in the state of Virginia at the moment. I like to think, uh, thank you for listening tonight. We'll see you next week when Joe Griffin will come here, hopefully with keeping the cigars.